I think the big thing is that when it comes to climate, it's really important to keep an open mind. There is so much out there that is based on politics and money, and it's not based on science. I have spoken to so many scientists, and they are frustrated. They are so angry. And I think you can get a sense of that in my writing. My name is Katie Spence. I'm a reporter with the Epic Times. I've been with them for about a year and a half, but I've been a reporter for about 15 years. Started as a financial journalist for The Motley Fool, um, and that's kind of how I got my start. Okay, very good. And how long have you been into uh, climate and energy reporting on those two things? That started as a financial journalist. So when I was with The Motley Fool, one of the things I covered was Tesla. And Tesla, back in 2011, was kind of this really small company that hadn't made it big just yet. But they were pushing electric vehicles. And part of my job was to analyze the finances of that and to look at what their technology was and is this going to be a game changer. And part of what I discovered is that the batteries were not exactly green. Their zero emissions statement was only true from point of use. It's not true when you look at the batteries and how they're made. And so that's how I got my start into climate change, climate science, and this entire narrative around climate catastrophe. I was just looking through uh, all the different people that you have interviewed, uh, which is a great uh, list of climate realists that you've interviewed. Uh, how did you get connected with all these people, including Richard Lindzen and et cetera? Yeah, I got connected with them because I looked through that document, the climate document that was signed by a whole bunch of like 1,800 scientists. This is the Clintel, Clintel, right? Yes, yeah. the Clintel documents. Okay. And I was like, well, I got to talk to these scientists and see what they have to say about there not being a climate emergency. And I Googled those. And that's how I got connected. I sent them an email. I'm like, hey, can I talk to you? And a lot of them responded. Okay. And did you do the interviews via email or did you Zoom in or how do you do that? Most of them are up um, via the phone because I like to talk to someone and I write my questions beforehand, but I also go based on what they're saying. So I like to have spur the moment questions come up to I am not a climate expert by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a journalist and I'm just trying to find the truth. Okay. And I just wrote down some names you've talked to, including Patrick Moore, uh, Roy Spencer, John Christie, uh, as I said, uh, Joe Bastardi, actually, as well. I just interviewed mm -hmm. Joe. Uh, Larry Bell, Myron, Myron Ebell. Uh, yeah, fantastic stuff. Um, so this is just all in the last, uh, what, year or so that you've been heavily uh, talking to all these people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there's a bunch of names, actually, that you have talked to that I had not heard of before. I, I like to think of myself as I've been heavily into this for 15 years, and I should know all these names, but I don't. But it sounds like you went through that Clintel list. That was a key way to find uh, find names, right? There's 1,800 people on that list? Right. There's a ton of scientists that are on this list who are saying there's not a climate emergency. And that, to me, was like, oh, well, okay, these are scientists. And we hear that there's this 97% agreement with scientists saying that there is a climate emergency. Well, if you have all these other scientists that are saying, well, there, we don't agree, and here's why, I wanted to find out more information about that. I think it's really interesting when you point out you haven't heard of these scientists too, because a lot of what I've heard when I've interviewed these people is that they can't get their message out 
because their narrative doesn't fit the political narrative that's being pushed with climate change. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to take a cue from what you did. I need to start uh, working my way through the list and interviewing uh, several or lots of these people for my podcast. That's great stuff. Did you talk to Marcel Kroc himself, uh, one of the founders of that list? I did no. not. Do you have a background in the Air Force? Does that have anything to do with what you're doing now or just gave you a good uh, grounding in some science? I think my background in the Air Force gave me a good sense of self. So I'm okay asking those tough questions. I'm okay going and not fitting in with the narrative that's being pushed. I think it's easier to go along with politics in general and go along with mainstream media. Uh, I definitely get a lot of pushback with the stories that I've written and the things that I'm putting out there. But my Air Force background has definitely given me a, a bunch of grit, I guess. So it sounds like you're not afraid to ask questions as uh, like these are uh, stupid questions or anything. You just ask the questions. Uh, right, I think that's great. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people like are afraid. Yeah. Right. Like I said, I'm not a climate expert, but I want to know because we're spending billions of dollars of our money on this. This is taxpayer money that's going to these climate initiatives. It's eventually going to be trillions of dollars that we're spending on this climate agenda. And I want to know if that money is being spent well or if we're getting robbed. So it looks like you're digging deep into it, though, right? You've got uh, a lot of detailed graphs and things. So maybe after you're done talking to the people, do you also just research it on Google as well? Are you getting graphs from the Richard Lindsons of the world? Or? Right. Well, there's graphs from the latest article that I did. Those are from Dr. Patrick Moore. So those are his graphs. Um, those are things that he had in his peer-reviewed paper. Uh, and so those graphs I thought were just great. They really hammered home that CO2 and temperature are not in alignment and are more out of sync than they are in sync. Yeah, so that article is about you. It's called Climate Scientists Say We Should Embrace Higher CO2 Levels. And that's, the, I think, the first article of yours that I've read. I, I was not aware of you before that, but that, that was just packed with great stuff. So congratulations on uh, some excellent work there. Have you gotten a lot of feedback on that one article? Yeah. Already? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I've gotten a lot of feedback on it. Mostly positive. I think the Epic Times readers are kind of on to the climate change uh, bakery that's going on. Yeah. Um, so until this type of information gets out into mainstream, I don't get the nasty emails, but that will probably come in a week. So I am a recent subscriber to the Epic Times. Uh, do you happen to know off the top of your head, can the uh, average person just read an article or two a month before they subscribe or how, how does that work? There are some yeah. articles that are premium that you have to have a subscription to read. And then there are some that are free that anyone can read and you can read as many as you want of the free ones, as far as I know. Um, but the premium reports, I think you do have to be a subscriber or have received a link from someone who is a subscriber. So you as a subscriber could send the premium report link to another person and they could read it for free. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, they just, I think they have to put in their yeah. email address. Okay. I was just looking at that. Uh, there is something called Epic TV where you have long form interviews with people like Richard Lindzen and uh, Nobel Prize winner John Clauser. I just discovered that today that you have that out there as well. It's excellent stuff. And with a lot of views, like 170,000 views on some of these. So, right. Yeah. We have a 
big sister station, NTD is our TV producer or they're the sister station of the Epic Times. And they do amazing work. Okay. And these videos are just available on the internet or are they available on cable TV anywhere or, or is through uh, the Epic TV website? I'm not entirely sure on that. I don't do a lot with the TV side, so I'm not sure. I do know that there is an app. I don't know if you can watch TV through that. That's such a question. Okay. But uh, yeah, my major takeaway is that there's just uh, so much great content out there on your site. Do you have a lot of reporters uh, working on climate or it's mostly you? Um, there's, I think, two or three of us. There's not a whole lot. Um, also, what we cover at the Epic Times is politics, but Epic Times is now getting more into climate, and that's my main deal. Yeah, climate and, and energy, right? You have some articles that focus more on uh, EVs and things like that? Oh, right. I mean, like I said, that's how I got started in this whole climate initiative is looking into electric vehicles and their batteries and what was being told to the public. I mean, if you're telling the public these are great for the environment, these are going to be so much better than fossil fuel vehicles because they don't produce emissions. Well, you're leaving out a key component, right? How are those batteries made? What goes into them? Are there rare earth minerals in these things? What about when you're charging that battery? What is being used to charge? Are you using coal? Are you using natural gas? And that kind of led me down this rabbit hole. Are you finding a lot of people pushing back at you because they say, of course, the climate is changing. How can you deny that the climate is changing? Uh, I see a lot of that myself. It's at a very superficial level, the pushback. I get a lot of that. I mean, I agree the climate's changing. It's always changing. It has been changing since the beginning of time, and it will continue to change throughout the rest of human history or human future, whatever, going forward. It's not like it's going to stop. It's not static, and it's not supposed to be. Yeah, I saw you do an interview uh, with uh, Joshua Phillip, I think, from Epic TV. I thought you did a very good job of laying that case out there that, of course, we're not denying that the climate is changing, but that the, the climate change we've seen so far, there, it hasn't been dangerous, warmer, maybe better, et cetera, correct? Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that's the big thing with this article that I just wrote with Dr. Moore. And when I started this article, I had the idea that CO2 and 420 parts per million was bad because that means temperature or that means whatever the narrative is, even though I've been looking at climate for a while, the 420 parts per million CO2, didn't that didn't cross my mind as something to question. But he really flipped that on its head and he's saying, no, we need CO2 and plants need more CO2 than what we are currently producing. They would thrive at 1,200 to 2,000 parts per million CO2. And they're actually starving at 420 parts per million. So he's looking at CO2 as plant food and plants, as we all know, give us oxygen. So it's a symbiotic relationship. And if we are reducing CO2, what does that do to the plants? And right now it's at 0.4% of the atmosphere. That that's all that's all that CO2 is. It's, it's actually, not a lot. <laughs> actually 0.04%, right? Yeah, yeah. You're right. I'm sorry, I misstated yeah. that. So it's not like it's a whole lot. And it has been higher in the in our history, up to five thousand parts per million during the Jurassic period. Um and it's been lower during the glacial maximums uh, down at 180 parts per million. 
And that is where there was nothing and almost went down to 150 parts per million. And then Dr. Moore said everything would have starved. Everything, everything would have died at that point. Uh, do you see a lot of uh, climate hysteria either in your personal life there in Colorado or just uh, in the local papers, things like that? Lots of it? Yeah. I mean, Colorado is for sure on the climate change agenda, and there's a lot of hysteria around that. I mean, we had a bill go through two years ago, and we have a supermajority right now in the House for Democrats. They control the House. They have a historic majority in the Senate. And what the bill was, was just to look at nuclear power, mobile nuclear power plants in Colorado. It was just to look, and it was going to be like $80,000. But it got shot down along partisan lines because it wasn't wind or solar. And that's just amazing to me because you're looking at it, and you're looking, well, greenhouse gas emissions, nuclear produces less than wind and solar. So why wouldn't you just look at it exploring the option of nuclear and this is something France has done and they've been incredibly successful with it. So I don't know. It's very much, there's a narrative here and you have to fit a certain agenda. Is, is the real world hitting home at all yet that you can't really run the grid on wind and solar or people haven't come to that realization yet? Not yet. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, and more people transition to electric vehicles and they're trying to charge these like what we've seen in california there's going to be the rolling blackouts if you phase out the fossil fuel if you phase out the coal uh, colorado was mainly on coal for a long time we have shut down a few of the coal power plants um and it's, we're wondering what, what's going to happen i mean now they're saying they want to phase out natural gas as well and that's one of our major utilities here um we'll see do you get a sense that uh, the EV owners in Colorado are, uh, it's like their second or third car and they have a real gasoline powered car to do their real traveling? Uh, I get that sense a lot of places. Yeah. I get that sense for some of it. I think it's really interesting, the dynamics in Colorado, you have the urban areas and then you have the rural areas and the rural areas are not gonna adopt the electric car unless they have a backup vehicle. Um, but if you're in Denver and, or if you're just poking around Colorado Springs, you're not looking at a huge trip that may require you charging along the way. You just charge when you get home. So I do think there's a big discrepancy between the rural lifestyle and the urban lifestyle here. Okay, very good. Uh, did you have some articles you wanted to take a look at uh, and, uh, and talk about at all that you've done recently? I think the only one that I've done recent that we're covering is this climate scientists say we should embrace higher CO2. And then the one we discussed, which was the meteorologist scientists explain why there is no climate emergency. Those are the two I'd say readers, if you want to get a sense of what's going on with climate change in general, go read those too. How about this one uh, also uh, headline though, uh, UN says money spent on basic living expenses is bad for nature and should be repurposed. Yeah. What, what's that all about? <laughs> Yeah, so that one was an interesting one to write. Um, that one came out, their report came out during COP28. And they were saying that we're spending so much more money on things like building houses and food production and things that we need to have to actually live. And they were bemoaning that and saying we need to spend that money on climate change initiatives and greening 
of the environment. And it's just kind of looking at um, their point of view in a different way. It's all about disrupting our lifestyles as it is and changing it to what they think is best for everyone else. So they're, they're big on, all right, well, let's not spend as much money on agriculture if it's going to be cows because cows, they produce methane, right? They fart. Heaven forbid. Um, so let's move on to bugs. Why? No one wants to eat bugs. That's gross. So yeah, it's just like they're talking about wanting to disrupt the food production and how we build things and how things are financed. And like if a company is investing in something that's detrimental to the environment, like fossil fuel, well, then they shouldn't receive those bank loans. They shouldn't receive subsidies. They should essentially get uh, cut off from that financial backing. So don't you think this indicates just how uh, out of touch they are that they're trying to sell the idea that farming causes bad weather, so we need to cut back on farming? I mean, what percent yes. of voters are buying into this, do you think? I don't know. I mean, it, honestly, it, it blows my mind that anyone at all is buying into this because if you look at it, if you go beyond the surface, you're just like, wait, what? You want us to what? <laughs> you want us to live in like these urban utopias where we walk everywhere and we have solar panels and we don't travel and we're eating bugs and plants, but then we're also trying to get rid of CO2, which feeds the plants. So then there's a confusion there. Um, I don't know how many voters are voting for this. I don't think a lot of people are really aware of how insidious the climate culture has become. It's more of a cult than anything. Yeah, I just wanted to drop back. Was there a time maybe 10 or 20 years ago where you casually believed in it? Because I did. I didn't march yeah. forward or anything, but I didn't pay much attention to it, and I kind of believed it. I don't know if you were the oh, same. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Up until I started looking into Tesla, I was like, ah, we should protect the environment. Why aren't we doing more things to transition to green energy? Why are we robbing our earth by fossil fuel production? And then when I started looking into Tesla and the battery production and this narrative, like these are zero emission cars. Like that, that was the statement. These are yep. zero emission vehicles. They are the wave of the future. They're going to save us. Like, but they're not. They're not zero emission vehicles. They're zero emissions at point of use. But nothing before that is zero emissions. And actually, when you're producing and manufacturing that battery, you're producing tons of greenhouse gas emissions for the lithium, for the rare earth minerals, just getting those materials. And most of these things are, unfortunately, we rely on China to get, like these are not green initiatives. Were you into or checking into Tesla back when they were, I believe, getting credits for this whole battery swap thing where you're going to drive into a bay and it was going to swap out your discharged battery and the, a robot was going to pin it, put in a new battery? But it was a complete farce. I think, I don't know if they ever actually had that working. I don't know if you checked into that. I remember that. I did not, it's not something I specifically covered. Mine was more like the battery tech and the recycling. Um, because that was another thing that they were saying with the batteries, oh, they're green because we can recycle them. Well, you don't. That's not happening because it's not financially feasible at this point. Um, I do remember when they were saying, you can go in and get a new battery and they're just going to swap that out. I'm like, okay, how much is that going to cost? 
And what are you going to do with the old library? <laughs> There's a lot of questions, not a lot of answers. Um, have you looked into the issue much about uh, battery fires or the danger of uh, parking your EV under yeah. an apartment and burning down the apartment building? Yeah, yeah thermal runway. Yeah, runway. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I just don't think batteries make a whole lot of sense, to be completely honest with you. I think that's something that's been pushed to fit a narrative, and it's received a lot of taxpayer funding. Um, but I don't, I mean, batteries degrade over time. You can't charge them. They don't last as long. You have a ton of material that's going into these batteries that aren't recyclable, that don't uh, get us off of mining. We're talking about graphene and lithium and cobalt, which, I mean, if you look at how they get cobalt in the Dominican or the Congo, that's, it's, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. I would much rather use a car that's powered on oil that, I mean, we have oil pumps all around and they're just these little tiny things and they pull oil out of the ground. So then have child slave labor to get cobalt. So the oil business in Colorado, it, that's still moving forward? It hasn't been uh, stopped? It's still here. We still have some, but there's a lot of pushback. There's definitely an attempt to get rid of it. Okay. They're not as robust as Texas. <laughs> Texas is going great guns still? Um, as far as I know, they are still doing a lot of yeah. oil production and then, you know, off the Gulf. But there's a huge push to get rid of oil. So I don't know all the things that have shut down. I know there's a lot. So have you yet looked much into the bigger picture to, to investigate whether there is a move to uh, sell us on the whole global warming thing in order to control our lives? And maybe uh, with central bank digital currency, they can figure out exactly how much CO2 you've admitted this month and they can uh, restrict your purchases based on that. Have you looked into that much? Yeah, I mean, I saw something by the UN. They were saying they wanted to look at someone's CO2 output, like their total output, and then have like a clinic credit. I haven't done a whole lot of digging into that. That's actually something I am planning to investigate coming up. Um, but that was something I saw as a headline. Wait, what? Um, so what is your process when you're writing uh, new articles? Uh, do you have, uh, you know, a month or two ahead of time, you know what articles you're going to be writing and you're spending time researching and then uh, re releasing those one at a time? It depends. Um, with my articles, I've been doing a lot more special reports lately. That's not the only thing I do. I do some quick articles, like if you go and look at some of the articles that I've done recently, they're on what's happened in Colorado with Tabor, Proposition HH. So it depends on the article itself. Um, with the special reports, like the two, the meteorologists, scientists explain why there's no climate emergency and climate scientists say we should embrace more CO2, those take a little bit longer and those have a longer process. And really it depends on how fast I can get the interviews in. Because you're talking to these scientists who have busy schedules and they're not always available right when I want to talk to them. <laughs> I'd love it if they were. Um, most are real great at, get, at getting back to me. But you know, like Dr. Christie, he has a job. He's a professor. <laughs> so getting a hold of them is sometimes um, it takes a little while. So yeah, I usually start out by sending out an email saying, hey, I'm writing this article and I'd really love to talk to you about this. Is there a time we can set up either phone or if you prefer email? Because some, some people don't want to talk on the phone and that's fine. 
and then prefer email, but most of it's over the phone or would you prefer Zoom or how do you want to do that? And then they usually get back to me and either say, yeah, I want to talk to you or no, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> um, and then we set that up and then do those interviews and then write the article. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to learn from your process here. So say, you know, you're going to be able to interview uh, John Christie, for example, do you uh, Google John Christie and uh, spend some time just reading everything you can about him or listening to podcasts or uh, what, what's your preparation uh, for each interview? Yeah. So my preparation is to go and find out as much as I can about whoever I'm trying to interview. I want to know what their stances are, what they published. Um, if they're going to, say that CO2 is okay, if they're going to look at CO2 negatively. I want to know, like, what are they looking at? Like Dr. Christie, his big thing is on, um, they did satellites to look at global earth temperature. It was him and um, um, and one of his uh, uh, Roy Spencer. Roy yes, Spencer. Roy yeah. Spencer. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. So not everyone agrees that CO2 is good for the planet. Not all of the scientists who are pushing back against the climate crisis agree that CO2 is good. Um, so I like to know where they're, where they start out with and where their stance is and then kind of go from there. And then, like I said, when I, I come up with questions beforehand based on the research that I've done, and then when I'm talking to them, I'm listening very carefully to what they're telling me. And I, I want to get more spur of the moment questions in too, because I think those are the most revealing about what's going on. Because like I said, not an expert. I have no background in this beyond being a reporter. <laughs> so I want to learn from them and just kind of pick their brains. Do you think that not having a background could be actually an advantage? I think it can't yeah. be an advantage. <laughs> just that uh, you don't. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, my background is in analytic philosophy. That's what I have my bachelor's in. And so I think one of the things that I learned going through that is analyzing arguments and kind of looking and picking out the logical flaws and then critiquing the argument and trying to make it stronger based on getting rid of the logical flaws. So that, yes. And that might have helped. <laughs> Just as we're talking here, I'm thinking about the guy, uh, Glock, who designed the pistol. The incredible pistol came from outside the gun industry, and he wasn't burdened with any uh, ideas uh, ahead yeah. of time. He was he came into it fresh from the outside, and he, uh, his success was unbelievable. I think there is something to be said for coming in fresh. I think so, because I'm not coming in with preconceived notions of what's right and what's wrong. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. Like I said, when I started looking at Tesla, I was because I was like, oh, this is an amazing company. Like, that's how I started out. I'm like, this is so great. My first article's on Tesla. You can go back and look it up. Glowing. They're great. <laughs> and then I started looking at the battery tech. And I'm like, wait, that's, that's not great. <laughs> that's not good. So, yeah, I don't have those preconceived notions going in to these discussions. And I'm not trying to push my agenda or my narrative. I just want to know what they have to say. And that's true for all Epic Times reporters. We want to know what the expert says. We want to know their perspective. And then we're going to put that in the paper as they give it to us. We're not trying to change it and manipulate it to fit something that we want. Yeah, I think that's great with your experience with Tesla. I think it means more that you went in with a glowing uh, idea of what it was. And then when you looked at the facts, you changed your mind. It sounded like that. 
that, yeah. that's important. I, I like that. Uh, getting back to your actual, um, the way you do this, when you're interviewing a John Christie, do you record it and get a transcript? Or how do you get all the quotes exactly right? You're not just yeah. madly writing stuff down as he's talking, right? No, yeah. no. We have something called Otter, and that records everything. So when I go into the interviews with anyone, um, you are required to ask, can I record this conversation? Um, get permission from that person, and then we hit record on Otter, and then it transcribes everything. And it's amazing because you can just go and grab it from there. So is it a common thing that when you interview people, they say, okay, I, you can do this, but I want final approval of what goes in the article? Is that a common thing or no? That's not common, and that's not something we really do. I have had a few scientists say, can I see the quotes you use and how you use them to make sure that they're not taken out of context? Um, like when I interviewed Dr. Barry for my uh, No Climate Emergency article, he was talking about some really technical stuff with his arguments against CO2 being man-made, like the up to 420 parts per million being man-caused. And so with that, I definitely went back to him and I was like, hey, here's how I've made this more reader-friendly because you can say it one way as a scientist, but for an average reader, they may not necessarily understand that. So we have to put it in layman's terms. Um, so I went back to him. I'm like, did I get this correct? Did I get anything wrong? And he's like, no, you did a great job. So there will be times when I do that with people who have really technical information and I'm trying to put it in layman's terms because I don't want to misquote it. I don't want to misunderstand it. And I don't want to say something that they're not saying themselves. Like this, I don't want to take the scientists out of context or say, hey, this person said this and they did not say that. Okay, very interesting. It just makes me think about, I'm doing an interview next week with Wally Mannheimer, and he's like five or six levels above the average person talking about nuclear power. And we're trying mm -hmm. to decide uh, at what level he should uh, try to communicate what he's talking about. Should he go for just a layman or should, we, should he go for people that are five or six levels above that? Uh, for the stuff yeah. you're writing, you're trying to make it uh, so that the normal person can understand it, right? All the way through? Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not writing for scientists. I'm writing for our readers. I'm writing for the average person who subscribes to the Epic Times. And that varies. We have a scope of people across the board from the scientists to the person who's still in high school and just curious and reading uh, our website. So we have to make it so that it is understandable across a broad range of people. And that's not to make it so that it's not technical and that there's not uh, more complicated concepts within it. It's just to try and take some of the more um, scientific ideas and make them more understandable to the general populace. Uh, do you get a lot of uh, detailed follow-up questions where people want to say, uh, or they ask you exactly what did John Christie mean on this uh, esoteric point or, or not? I, I get some, I don't get a whole lot. I, I get that from my editors. They're like, wait, what does this mean? Can you reword this? I don't, I don't fully understand this quote. Can you go back? I do a lot of that before the article ever gets published. Uh, so I have amazing editors who are like, okay, I, I know that you understand this, but I don't. I didn't talk to Dr. Chrissy. I didn't talk to Dr. Moore. Can you explain this in better terms? Okay, I, I don't even know. 
your stuff is normally uh, read by uh, multiple people before it gets out to the public where they check it over and uh, ask the type of questions you just mentioned? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All of the articles that are on the Epic Times have to go through editorial. Uh, are they also, are there fact checkers, formal fact checkers that look up every little thing and try to compare it against uh, what they find, uh, what Google tells them or no? That's my job. I, yeah, I yeah. fact check. Yeah. So when I'm doing these articles, when someone is saying, hey, plants need 800, 1200 parts per million CO2, and that's what greenhouse gas or greenhouses do, they pump that CO2 in. Uh, I fact check that. I'm like, all right, that's great that Dr. Moore is telling me this, but then it's my job as a reporter to go back and say, is this true? If someone is telling me there's this report from 1974 that the CIA did on um, climate change and it was climate cooling, I need to go find that report and make sure it exists. So that's my job. Okay, very good. Let's see. I had another great question there and I forgot what it was. <laughs> um, while I'm thinking about it, do you have any other points you want to uh, bring up here? This has been really good so far. I'm totally loving this. Any I other points you. you'd like to make? Yeah. Yeah, I think the big thing is that when it comes to climate, it's really important to keep an open mind. There is so much out there that is based on politics and money, and it's not based on science. I have spoken to so many scientists, and they are frustrated. They are so angry. And I think you can get a sense of that in my writing, how they're speaking about politics, how they're speaking about the narrative that's being pushed. Um, they're frustrated because they're saying we are not doing science anymore. We're doing politics. We can't get money for our climate initiatives. Like we want to look at climate from an unbiased perspective. And that's what science is supposed to be. But we can't do that because we're not saying, hey, this is the goal that we're going to come to. We're saying we just want to see what's out there. And so really questioning the narrative is important for readers and to remember that money drives so much in our lives. So I've done like 180 podcasts and it's amazing the wide range of explanations as to what really is causing the climate to change. And um, have you dug into that much into looking into yeah. volcanoes and cosmic rays and all this other stuff? Yeah, I mean, I've talked to a number of people like Joe Bastardia, like you're talking about and they're talking about underwater volcanoes or what if it's sunspots or what if it's the tilt of the earth? I think there's just so many different things that are out there. And from talking to a number of people, you get the sense that climate science is really in its infancy. It hasn't been around long enough for us to have those concrete answers. And so if we don't have those answers, we should be open to studying a multitude of different approaches to find out what's really going on. The climate has been changing for millions, billions of years, depending on your personal beliefs. Uh, not personal beliefs, but, you know, different people believe different things about the age of the earth, which is fine. Um, so the climate has been changing since the beginning of time, and it will continue to change. And I think as humans, it's, it's, it's beyond... Um, our understanding to fully comprehend that. And I think it's it's really ignorant for humans to say we can fully understand the climate at this point. We don't. We don't understand. And that's okay. So let's explore it, but let's do it without trying to fit a narrative. 
And that's just what you mentioned earlier, that it's too bad that we're pouring all this money into climate science, but we're funding the CO2 as the climate control knob part and not the rest of it. Do, do you see any light at the end of the tunnel that uh, anything's shifting at all? That um, yeah. I think there is a lot of pushback from true scientists like Dr. Moore. I mean, this, this is the person who co-founded Greenpeace International. He was the one who's big on let's save the whales. Like he has been in this fight for years. Um, I think there's a lot of pushback from real scientists wanting to do real scientific analysis. But I do think that there are really big organizations that have a lot of power that don't want to allow that message to get out. I do think that as things like Twitter have become more amenable to free speech, like with Elon Musk buying that, um, with publications like the Epic Times, with podcasts like yours, um, people are getting more information from other sources and not just the mainstream media. And I think that is going to cause kind of more of a reckoning because people are starting to question more and more, hey, is this true? Uh, why are my utility bills so high? And why do I have to buy an electric vehicle that's going to cost me $14,000 more than that ICE vehicle? So I think people are starting to question, and I'm hoping that that will cause um, more conversations to happen and for there to be more robust debate. Because really, that's what we're missing is the debate aspect. Science is about debate. You can't prove one theory is 100% true. Like that's the scientific method. You can prove that it's likely and then you can disprove it, but you can't prove that it's true. Like that's just the way it is. So one thing that jumped out at me from your bio here is that you've also covered medical industry censorship and inclusion with government. Is that something mm -hmm. just in the last three or four years that you did spend quite a bit of time on? I did, yeah, that happened. Um, I don't know if you've heard of American Frontline Nurses um, or the organization that is now not there, but it was Team Halo. They also have um, a group called Shots Heard. And those organizations um, were funded by the UN. Um, it's volunteers, but the, it was a UN initiative to go out on social media and debunk, debunk people from saying, um, COVID might actually be beneficial, or maybe we should question the vaccine, or maybe we should look at not using remdesivir. Um, so there was someone by the name, her, she's a nurse, her name's Nicole Sorotek, and she was the, she is the director of American Frontline Nurses, and she got dogpiled by these groups um, and really received a ton of harassment. Um, they were sending her threatening letters uh, pictures of her children in horrible positions, like in uh, gas chambers and being hung. Uh, yeah, and these were, it's, it's a UN initiative. So, Team Halo, right. yep. Team Halo is gone now, right? Yeah, they they left. <laughs> Shots Heard is still there. Um, and Shots Heard's big thing is they are a social media, uh, like policing th uh, organization. If you go to Shots Heard and say, this person is saying this on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, 
those shots heard members will go to that post and just rail against whatever is being said. And so it's, yeah, they're trying to get their message across and to completely demonize anyone who's going against the COVID initiative or the vaccine initiative. And they've gone after people like Dr. McCullough. <laughs> what? This is one of the best cardiologists out there. Okay. Can ordinary people go to Shots Heard and see what they're piling onto right now? Yeah. Um, they have a Facebook group. They have a Twitter group. I guess it's X now. Um, and you can see where they're posting. They do keep things. Uh, you have to be a part of their group um, in order to see what's going on behind the scenes. So you have to request membership. It's a private group. Um, so not everyone can see like the internal communications, but you can see where they're posting. I, I ask this a lot, but do you think that over the last three or four years, people are realizing that they're being lied to about maybe health? And then they're saying, what else are they lying to us about? And they're starting to look into climate in that way. Uh, I think I, I am seeing that from a lot of people. Absolutely. I mean, I think COVID was absolutely horrible. What happened with the lockdowns, the people who got really sick and who died, I, I think all of that was horrible. But there was a silver lining that came out of that. And that is that this narrative that was pushed in the beginning, this two weeks to slow the spread, and then we just locked down and we couldn't have our kids in schools anymore because they were going to cause super spreader events. All that proved to be false. And now we're looking back and realizing, hey, actually, that was really bad for kids. We have mental health problems going crazy. We have kids whose reading comprehension has been severely impacted. Math uh, progress has halted. Uh, and all because we took kids out of school and we put them in front of a computer. And I think people look at that and they're saying, well, this was the narrative that was being pushed by legacy media. This was something that was pushed by our politician. This was something we were told we had to do. The UN was telling us we have to get these vaccines. Our president was telling us we have to get these vaccines. If we don't, well, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Um, no, that's not true. And so now people, I think, are forced to question their own assumptions and their own beliefs and their trust in what they thought as the authority figures because they're looking at the proof. You can't, you can't hide your head in the sand uh, past a certain point. You have to kind of look around and say, wait, the reality that we see doesn't line up with the message that I'm being told. So um, there are polls, aren't there, that show a plummeting trust in legacy media? And I, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that that uh, also indicates that people might be moving to uh, a media like Epic, like mm -hmm. uh, like your uh, media, correct? Yeah, I mean, the Epic Times at this point is now the fourth largest by subscription kill in the United States, the fourth largest newspaper. Um, and we are growing. We're not slowing down. Um, and it's because we're putting the truth out there. Like I said, when I'm interviewing someone, I'm taking what they're telling me and then I'm putting it in my article. I'm not trying to change it. I'm not trying to make it fit my narrative or my bias. I just want to get their information out there. And I think people appreciate that. Yeah, I can reveal that as of today, I'm a, I'm a lifetime subscriber to the Epic Times. Uh, Love it. 
Yeah, I mean, a big part of it was just uh, researching for this interview and going back and just uh, stumbling across all this great stuff. So I love it. Uh, I'm so glad. It's earned. Yeah. Let's see. What other points would you like to make before we wrap up? I don't think I have any other points. I think I've hit them all. <laughs> Got them all in in less than an hour. This was a good conversation. Yeah, it was very, very good. All right. I think since uh, I think we're done, so I'll let you go. But yeah, thanks a ton. I really enjoyed this talk. I hope to have you on again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. This is great. Reach Wonderful out story. if you have any questions or if you have any information you want to pass along to me. I'm always open. Okay. And like I said, I'm going to follow up. I'm going to go through this Clintel declaration and find a lot of good leads in there. So thank you for absolutely. that. Absolutely. You're All welcome. Right. Talk to you next time. All right. All right. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye.